0: Well, let's do it. All right. Welcome to episode 86 of Musically Challenged, your heaping helping of music, trivia, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about this week. I'm your host, Chad Knight, and with me as always is Lou Schwalbach. Evening. All right, guys, this is going to be an interesting one. As you all know, I'm a little bit of a Beatles fan. (laughs) (laughs) You couldn't keep it down, could you? Nope. And have talked about them more than a few times since we started doing this. I came to the realization that we haven't yet done a dedicated Beatles show, and what better time than now to do so? I told my wife we hadn't done a Beatles show yet, and she said, really?
1: Almost 100 episodes and not yet. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. So anyway, the primary members, Paul McCartney, John Lennon, Ringo Starr, and George Harrison, enjoyed huge success as the Fab Four, sparking the British invasion in the 1960s. Then, after separating, they all enjoyed success to varying degrees, in their own solo careers and other projects. We've lost 50% of them, but the surviving members are still expensively touring and selling out shows all across the U.S. and worldwide. Now, I've heard of Paul McCartney touring. Have you come across the Ringo tour anytime recently?
1: Not live. I've seen it on TV. Okay. but I've
0: seen him on PBS, but that doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? So... With our Beatles episode, there are going to be a twist, and here it is. It's not just going to be all Beatles songs. As you know, we do ten songs. What we're going to do is each pick a Beatles song that we like, and then for our other four songs, we'll be picking a song from each member's post-Beatles career and talk about that. So take a quick jaunt up Penny Lane and come together in your yellow submarine for a day tripper to the octopus's garden. Well, we get the show started.
1: Welcome to Musically Challenge, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on whatever topic the guys choose. Their goal is to entertain and inform you on a variety of themes. This podcast is an expression of their lifelong love and commitment to music. Simply stated, music is life. This show may include adult themes and language. Once again, welcome to Musically Challenged. Here are your hosts, Chad and Lou. How you been, sir? Uh, been all right. How's things for you? It's, it's good. I just,
0: uh, I'm tired tonight. So if I doze off or something, just throw something at me. I got plenty of shit on the table for you to throw. So I'm looking for sharp things. I do not keep sharp things. Damn it. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're into September, solidly into September. Weather's a little cooler at night. Not quite as hot in the afternoon. I'm really starting to like this.
1: Yeah, sleeping weather. That's about all you can really put it as, sleeping weather. It's it's good sleeping weather. Time to rotate the fans. Instead of blowing out, they can start blowing in to pull some of that cold air in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, I started exercising
0: again. I'm going to try this again. But I'll tell you, dude, I went for a walk. I walked a mile and a quarter, which I know to some people out there doesn't sound like much. But when you're in the shape I'm in, which is round, a mile and a quarter's pretty decent. Enough, yeah. Did it in a half hour. I was proud of that. It's been three days since I did it, and the fronts of my legs, like the, the shins or something, I don't know if they're shin splints or what, but I know every time I start working out, it's like the shins. That's where the, the biggest problem is, and then, oh. so I have to start off slow. And walking in the real world versus on a treadmill is completely different. Oh, absolutely. It, it's completely different the way my legs react.
1: So like a Stairmaster versus an actual flight of stairs.
0: Yeah, Stairmasters are a lot worse. <laughs> have you ever done a Stairmaster?
1: I do ellipticals.
0: Okay. I I have done the Stairmaster, and it's like I have walked up several flights of stairs, like in my job. I end up doing that from time to time. It's like when I was at my best, when I was down all the way, I was down back there a while ago, and I was working out every fucking day. If I could do five minutes on the Stairmaster,
1: I was happy. You know, and I'll tell you what, it's the, the machines are different in the respect that each one has a different setting for it. Like, yeah. And what I mean by that is that I can go and do, like, a level five, because I, I would do, um, what the hell do they call it? Um, elliptical? Uh, no, but there's, like, training that you kind of go up and down. Oh, like a, oh, like a uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about, uh, uh, variant. Right, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So I can do five and ten on one elliptical, but then I go to the different one, like, at our work workout room. I did one, and I wanted to die. Yeah, it's it's crazy.
0: It's um, Treadmills are like that, too. Now, I mean, they give you, a like, the ones that they have at uh, Planet Fitness where I work out. Mm-hmm. They have, like, settings. It'll be like, okay, you can go one mile to an hour, whatever it is. But for some reason, you can go on one, one of these things and three miles an hour and do it fine. Mm-hmm. I go to another one and three miles an hour, and it's like, Five minutes in like, and my legs
1: are falling off. It's like off. trying to keep up with a, somebody who's driving. How is three
0: miles an hour different? <laughs> you know
1: what I mean? hmm Should be the same thing. But that said. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm trying to look up this word. Um, interval. That's it. That's your Yeah, interval training. Although there's fartlek training. Fartlek? I'm not, I'm not even kidding. Look right by my thumb. Fartlek. I got to find this. Okay. No, no, no. Fartlek. fartlek. <laughs> Fartlek training. What the hell is that? I don't know, but I'm going to go. It's on bodybuilding.com. <laughs> it's seven basic types of cardiovascular training. And let's see here. If you're doing it right, you fart. Uh, Fartlick is, trend is this is translated from Swedish. It okay. means speed play. Basically, you mix up all the above types of training together in one session. You might run for 10, sprint for 30, Walk for two, run fast for two, jog slowly for five, etc. So it's interval training. Okay, yeah. But it's apparently Swedish's fartlek training. I'm pro- and we're probably mispronouncing it now that I know it's Swedish. I don't care. It's still <laughs> fartlek training. I, I'm going to go to Planet Fitness and be like, I need a trainer that is is um, certified and fartlek. certified and fartlek. They're going to kick you out. <laughs> they're going to kick me out. I'm going to get the best looks ever. I'm going to make sure to have somebody recording it. I'll be there. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> all right. So all this talk about working out. Let's work out our arms. 12 ounce curls?
0: That's what I'm thinking. Let's get All liquored right. up.
1: Are they actually 12 ounces? I think they are. Oh, well, I see an alcohol percentage. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, on the side, yes, it is 12. Okay.
0: So this week, I brought back a, uh, a brand that we tried before and we didn't like very much L- L- L-
1: Lagunitas. Lagunitas,
0: maybe? Sure. And this is actually a group, uh, Lagunitas plus another brewing company called Shorts. They did this together. And <laughs> it is called Passion Grass.
1: The the label is very pretty.
0: It is. It's very green and pinkish and it's lime green and pink. Yeah. So, well,
1: you know, it's, it's like an eighties like bottle. It's like this is neon.
0: Yeah, kinda. kinda. All you need
1: just leg warmers and you'd be firm like leg warmers with your little Rubik's cube next to you. And you'd be <laughs> firmly in the 80s.
0: So anyway, this is a passion fruit and lemongrass flavored.
1: Ale. This is like hippie in a bottle.
0: Yeah, I know, but I saw it and I thought, little like this. You have heard of sarcasm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what that was.
1: I, I gathered that.
0: So it's 4.6% by volume, so it's a standard ale. Should we uh, give this a sniff and a taste? Oh, it smells sour.
1: It does. I'm smelling lemon.
0: I am too, and I. Well, shall we? Sure.
1: <sighs> wow. That is sour definitely hoppy
0: hoppy you can definitely taste the passion fruit or at least i could
1: yeah no i mean there's a shitty aftertaste
0: the aftertaste is bad and i've got a feeling that's going to be one of those that builds mm-hmm. and the lemongrass you can
1: definitely taste the lemongrass you can and i think that's the only reason making this not be the worst thing ever
0: is the lemon flavor Mm-hmm.
1: i'm not tasting the passion but then again i'm getting it on the back end mm, no i'm not getting
0: you're just tasting all the bitter mm-hmm all right, so I suppose we should rate this thing, huh? All
1: right, all
0: right. I'm gonna go with a thumbs up. Actually, I'm gonna
1: give it a tentative bar, but I reserve the right to change my decision at the end of the show.
0: As do I, because if that bitter continues to build, it will drop to a bar easily.
1: Um, I'm hoping it doesn't build though. Okay, so we're that's what we're staying, and now we get to move on to trivia. Trivia.
0: So you right now are at three and three after
1: after six weeks. And my guess is that it's going to be a Beatles trivia question. Yes, it is. And I have to ask you, did you even have to look this up, or did you know this as part of your trivia because I you I know knew that the this Beatles... one,
0: and it's actually, it's kind of an easier one because there's several answers that are correct on this. Oh, yeah, multiple choice. I'm not going to give you multiple choice, but...
1: No, but I mean, I can... I got yeah,
0: there's a, there's a couple options. I can think of three. Okay. And if you come up with a different one and you can prove to me that it's true, we're all good. You know, good.
1: back in the day when we didn't have the Internet on smartphones you'd <laughs> be like yeah i'm right okay
0: yeah it, true true so here we go before being known as the beatles what was the fab four known as
1: and i honestly think when we did something before i might have mentioned something about this and i'm gonna have to think about it
0: okay well you got till the end of the episode but one more time for the people out there before being known as the beatles what were the fab four known as Okay. So that's that's that. So
1: should we jump into the music? Sure. All right. So you're going to lead us off this week. All right. So and I'm going to start off with my Beatles song that I liked. Okay. And that was A Hard Day's Night. I'm not going to say by the Beatles because we already fucking know this is about the Beatles. Yeah. If we have to remind you. Rewind this. Well, r- rewind it about 10 minutes. We know it's the Beatles,
0: but this song is a Beatles song. After that, we're going to have to tell who it's by because each one will be different fine but so you do need to say it's the beatles i i think you do fine <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right so this beatles song is a Lenin you should Ma- see his face people is a <laughs> Lennon mccartney uh song as they all were pretty much well they that, were
0: all billed that way even though they seem to know who wrote which
1: one. Oh yeah i mean just you know it's like anything though i mean yeah we're gonna give shared credit but we all know who did the work
0: Right, it's like uh, Lennon and McCartney were well known for that. Anybody in Desmond Child in, in like,
1: 80s, 90s mm. rock, it was right. like, if if your album did say Desmond Child on it somewhere... Well, I think Guns did that a couple times, too. Yeah. A couple of their songs are just credited as Guns N' Roses. Yeah, really early on. I think Appetite's a big one for that, so... And the only reason I remember that is because I've been looking at stuff for Appetite recently. So, Anyways, it was a track off their 1964 album of the same name, Hard Day's Night. The album apparently was a Ringoism per an interview with Lennon in 1980. John was talking to the director of the movie based on something Ringo had said, and that's where it came from. The song is a love song done right. Uh, The singer works long days, and when he comes home to his girl, it's all good. I picked this one for the simple reason that I just straight up enjoy it. It's a quick moving song, it's got really good harmonies, it's got a nice message that if you go for that kind of thing, you don't really have to dig for it. So that is why I chose Hard Day's Night. Let's take a quick listen, then we can hear what Chad has to say about the resident expert Beetleman. It's been a hard day's night. I should be sleeping like a love. But when I get home to
0: you, I find. Buy- So you're right. It is a it is a very easy to understand love song for someone like you who doesn't like to dig for meaning or refuses to dig for meaning. This, All right. This whips its dick out and slaps you in the face with it. So this is classic first stage Beatles. You know, at this point they were a cookie cutter boy band, even though they were you know on top of the world at this point because, Beatlemania. You know, uh, 64. You said. Yes. 64 was the year that the Beatles came to America. So, right on top of that, it was huge. They they could do anything they wanted, and it was golden. I, I swear to God, John Lennon could have went out on stage, shit on the stage, and everybody would have loved it.
1: They could probably take that, press it into a, a vinyl album, and it would probably sell millions. Absolutely. Of
0: copies. Now I thought
1: they started. I they did that, and that was Revolver.
0: Oh, that's that's you know, Revolver is one of those albums, and and this is just me as a Beatles fan, it's a transitional album. It's somewhere between boy band and what they became, you know, and there was a lot of experimental stuff going on on Revolver. I'm not a big fan of Revolver, but as a fan of the band, I can see its worth. But anyway, now, they started to change their style in 1966. That's when Sgt. Peppers came out, so that was, you know... Maybe a little bit before that. But, now, I like all the music of the Beatles. But I really like the music of, you know, after Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And, you know, beyond that, up, up to the end, really, Abbey Road. But, good song, not the best of the Beatles in my assumption, but I enjoy it, and I'm glad you enjoy it.
1: Well, and you said not the best of the Beatles, and I would agree it's not the best song. However, we've done plenty of Beatles songs in the past that I would have probably put above this. I didn't want to repeat
0: Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I mean, we do repeat, and we've been at this for well over a year now, so repeats are going to happen.
1: Right, but if I didn't have to, and it's another song that I like, might as well.
0: Yeah, and actually, I'm using a Beatles song that I uh, believe I have never used before, and that's uh, Strawberry Fields Forever. Now, it was released in February 1967 as a double A-side with Penny Lane. Love both of those songs. And actually, if I had thought of Penny Lane, I would have probably done that over Strawberry Fields when I started. The song was written by John Lennon, but credited to the Lennon-McCartney Songwriting Partnership. Lennon wrote the song in Elmira, Spain, where he was filming a role in the anti-war comedy How I Won the War, <laughs> which actually is an okay movie. If you, It's on Netflix if
1: you ever want to watch it.
0: Uh, John Lennon actually plays a uh, uh, a soldier. It, it's kind of weird.
1: Is that why he wore the, the fatigues a few times? Yeah, is, probably. Like a leftover from his prop outfit? Probably. <laughs>
0: Now, he drew inspiration from his childhood memories of playing in the gardens of Strawberry Field, a Salvation Army children's home near to where he grew up in Liverpool. The song was the first track recorded during the sessions for the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, starting in November 1966, and was intended for inclusion on the album. But instead, with pressure from their record company and management for a new product, the groups were forced to issue the single and then adhere to their philosophy of omitting previously released singles from their albums. So Lennon identified Strawberry Fields Forever as his highest achievement as a member of the Beatles. In an effort to satisfy Lennon's requirements, the band recorded three separate versions of the track. The released recording was created from the editing together of two separate takes, each one entirely different in tempo, mood, and musical key. And you will hear that throughout the song if you listen to the whole song. And incorporates reverse-recorded instrumentation, tape loops, and a fade-out, fade-in coda. The finished recording also included includes Mellotron, a cello, and a bass arrangement by producer George Martin and an Indian swa- swami. I'm not going to try to say the actual word. We call him a swami. Okay. The discarded first version of the song was issued on the 1996 Outtakes Compilation Anthology 2. So let's go ahead and take a quick listen. Let me take you down, cause I'm going.
1: is real. Nothing to get hung about. feels forever.
0: Now the music. That's really all I have to say. I love this song for the music. The lyrics, if you guys heard that, that's my wife sneezing upstairs. The lyrics are pretty flowing and separate from each other. It's almost as if John wrote lyrics for several different little songs and threw them up in the air, and then when they landed, taped them all together with only the chorus to bring that all together. The song must have meant a lot to the fans of the Beatles, because the area uh, in which people gathered after the assassination of John Lennon in Central Park was named Strawberry Fields. So, neat little connection there, I guess. Um, What are your thoughts on this song?
1: You know, the song starts all quiet and kind of hippie-ish, and keeps going, and just keeps going like that. Now, as you mentioned, that was something I had found out also, that it was actually based on a real place that he used to go as a kid and had good memories for, which I can see why he would call that his crowning achievement is because it's the most personal song to him. Right. You know, and it would also make sense why the title would be Strawberry Fields Forever. Mm-hmm. The song's a bit of a slow mover, but the additional of the horns and the strings kind of makes up for the lap- lack of tempo, in my opinion. It's a good song, not one of my favorites by theirs, but definitely not one that I'm going to be like, oh, this is shit, put it away.
0: You're not going to change the channel, but you're not going to look for it.
1: That would be a perfect way to put it.
0: Okay, fair enough. So, what are we doing next? Now, we're done with the quote-unquote Beetle songs. Now, we're going solo. So we're going solo. Right, and who are gonna, we going to start with?
1: We're going to start with John. Let's get him out of the way. Okay. Which Mark David Chapman already did. Oh, sorry. That might be a little soon. No, it's fine. <laughs> Anyways, no. The song I chose was Instant Karma by John Lennon. Um, This song was released as a single on its own in 1970, where it competed with Let It Be from the Beatles, which... Interesting. It it is, it is. Um, It was this first solo single by a Beatle to sell a million copies, yet since then, they've all done that in spades, I'm sure. Um, The song's been used and covered quite a bit. U2 covered it for Amnesty International, as has Toad the Wet Sprocket and Duran Duran. I'm intrigued to hear the Duran Duran cover of it.
0: Yeah, I am too. I'm going to jot that down because,
1: yeah. So, so no, I remember it being used for a Nike commercial for a small amount of time. People complained about commercialism, so Yoko pulled the authorization, so Nike used Revolution from the Beatles' White Album instead. I remember those commercials, too. In fact, I think because of that commercial is why I went to get the White Album from the library to listen to it. Oh, okay. And then I heard the one on the White Album, and it's, it's way slowed down. And I'm like, well, this isn't what I wanted, Instant Karma. You know, the song is just about what goes around comes around, which is karma. Most people would know the song by the chorus We All Shine On versus the actual title, which is fine. It's a good song. It's another good song with a good message that's not hard to find. And we'll listen to it and let Mr. Beatleman over here talk about it. All right, go on, Mr. Beetleman.
0: All right, so Instant Karma. It's a great John song. I, I absolutely love this song. Not on the same level or intensity of some of his other solo stuff. In fact, we'll talk about one of those with mine. But I do love it nonetheless. It's just a song telling you that you need to look to the future and make yourself a better person. Remember, we all shine on. It seems to be, to be a song about how what you do now reflects you after you're gone, you know? So be a good person, damn it. That's really all it is. Now, I really like this song. It's been used in a lot of places, you know, since Paul got most of the library back. He's not shy, you know, for the right amount to let you use a Beatles song, so... And and I get it, I guess, because he doesn't have enough money yet.
1: But, I mean, honestly... It, Why not? I mean, unless it's like we all shine on talking about, like, butt plugs that light up or something. You know, I mean, as long as it's an appropriate product, just like, okay, we're going to bring up an example here. Live and Let Die, the okay. Paul McCartney song. Yeah. Weird Al wanted to do chicken pot pie, but Paul McCartney said no because he loves Weird Al, but he, he's a vegan, so he didn't want to have chicken associated with his work. Fine. Perfect answer. Great answer. Disagree, but anyway. Well, it, he was done it live, actually. He's done Chicken Pot Pie Live. He's just never recorded it? Correct. Okay. You know, just like the I'll Be There For You is I'll Repair For You, the the Friends theme song. Right. Or that was the Home Improvement song that they didn't use. But in any respect, I mean, if you agree with the product or how it's being used, who cares? Why not? If it's something that you don't agree with and you have a, a legitimate reason not to use it, don't be a dick. Just let it go.
0: Fair enough. That's all I really had to say about the song. It's a good song. It's a really good song.
1: So what's your Johnny song? My John song is Imagine. Okay, we're going to put a pause on this one because I remember when we were first picking the songs, you had something else picked. I had Woman picked. You had Woman picked, and I'm like, why aren't you doing Imagine? You're like, oh shit, I forgot about that one. (laughs) I don't think that's quite how it went. Pretty close. But because I really enjoy Woman
0: as well. But we'll talk about Woman on another episode, I'm sure. I'm sure we will. Nothing else, Valentine's Day is coming up here in a few months. Oh, no, it is. And if we do some sort of valentine theme, woman would fit right in there. So, but anyway. So, Imagine by John Lennon. It's the best-selling single of his solo career. Its lyrics encourage the listener to imagine a world at peace without the barriers of borders or the division of religion and nationality, and to consider the possibility that the whole of, the, of humanity would live unattached to material possessions. Lennon and Yoko Ono co-produced a song and album of the same name with Phil Spector. And we all know what happened with Phil Spector.
1: That dude is a crazy-looking bastard, let me tell you. He is. In
0: 1985, the Central Park Conservancy memorized a portion of the park in honor of Lennon, called Strawberry Fields, with a mosaic that reads, Imagine. Shortly before his death, Lennon acknowledged Ono's role in inspiring the concept behind Imagine and as of June 2017, plans were underway to ensure that she receives a co-writing credit for the song. You know, I get that John said that, but that doesn't mean you got to self-grandize yourself, Yoko. I just, that, that annoys me, but... Well,
1: she's got nothing better to do. She's got nothing better to go for. I mean, she basically was nothing more than the wedge that drove the Beatles apart and married to John. She has literally no other redeeming factor. True. Because I've heard her music. Well, Dennis Leary talked about it. Yeah.
0: But anyway, it earned a Grammy Hall of Fame award and is and an induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 Songs That Shaped Rock and Roll. A UK survey con- survey conducted by the Guinness World Record British Hit Single Book named it the second best single of all time. What was while that? Rolling Stones ranked it at number three in their list of the 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. What was number one? I didn't even look. Okay. I, I'm sorry, but I didn't. Since 2005, uh, 2005, event organizers have played it just before the New Year's Times Square ball drops in New York City. Dozens of artists have performed or recorded versions of Imagine, including Madonna, Stevie Wonder, Joan Baez, Elton John, and Diana Ross. Now, just imagine if we didn't play a clip of it here.
1: Now that was damn so would we be no possessions we are not in possession of the clip
0: I guess (laughs) so this song wraps it up wraps up all the things that lead to war the song is just an amazing look at the world if we removed all the things that we fight and kill each other over I absolutely love this song and it's a heartstring tug to listen to it as well for me anyway I know that in a lot of ways John Lennon wasn't a great man but when it comes to his music He is the greatest there was, the greatest there is, and the greatest there ever will be. The
1: best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. I fucking knew you were going to go there. As soon as you started that, I knew it. Just because of I know what you like, I knew (laughs) where you were going with that. (laughs) So what are your thoughts on this one? All right. So imagine the song is a beautiful sounding song. It's a political statement in disguise, and that's perfectly okay with me. Um, it's a really good song, reminds me of the 1994 Forrest Gump scene when Tom Hanks is telling Dick Cavett about China, and Lennon comments, no positions and no religion too. Yeah. It's it's just a good song. I mean, it's you're right, I don't think Lennon was the greatest guy. I mean, look who he married. However, Julian has some good music too. He does. Um, and God, does he look like his dad. Oh my Lord. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing. You know, he's not a perfect person, but who of us are? is? I mean, really. I mean, yeah, he's no. left an indelible, and yeah, you can quote me on this one, he's left an indelible mark on music as we know it.
0: Absolutely. And it might have been interesting to see where his life had gone on had he not been assassinated at the age of 40. I mean, think about it. You're a year older than John Lennon ever was. Mm-hmm. Of course, by now, he'd be 80-something.
1: So. And who's to say that he wouldn't have... Paid? died from cancer from smoking yeah, true. all those years yeah, or, or whatever else. I mean, this, it's a lot of what if type things that are kind of interesting what happened, what would have happened? Like, what would have happened if what the big bopper, Richie Valens and Buddy Holly wouldn't have died in that plane. Crash. Right. You what? know, you know, I wish we could do
0: an episode like that. Like, you know, where one time I was like, I don't remember what bands exactly, but I was like, what if Ozzy had been the front man for this band and mm. so-and-so had been the front man frontman for Ozzy's band, you know, or for Black uh, Sabbath. It'd be really neat to do an episode like that, but how do you do that? Because those, unless you can find that guy singing that song.
1: Unless, like, unless they have, like, a live show where they sing somebody else's show. Like, when I was, I saw Smash Mouth. Okay. And they had Steve Harwell with Smash Mouth singing Running with the Devil. You wouldn't think, but it really, really worked, actually. Did it? Yes. Or Nickelback singing Legs, which I showed you that video, and they killed that fucking song.
0: They did. Just like Sharp Dressed Man. Yeah, they, I see. I actually think they did better with Sharp Dressed Man.
1: Yeah, they wrecked both of those songs. Oh, they did. They did amazing. So I mean, it would be interesting. I mean, but you're right. It'd be really hard to do unless, and we don't have the money to ask these artists, be like, hey, can you sing this song for me? Right, right. With this guy's backing band. Yeah, and record
0: it, no less. Yeah. Well, they could come to my basement. We could record it on uh, on Audacity.
1: I'm I'm sure that uh, I'm sure they would love your setup. Hey, come on. It's simple, but it works. This is true. All right, so we're going to go ahead and go to the next one. Why don't you lead off the next one? Me? Yeah, just because. Just because, Yes. I feel like you're setting me up for something. Yeah, I'm setting you up to answer about a song. All right, so I'm going to jump
0: to Ringo Starr then. You son of a bitch, you're throwing off the order. (laughs) (laughs) Well, whose order? (laughs) Go ahead. So I'm doing the song You're 16. So You're 16 is a song written by the Sherman Brothers, Robert and Richard, it was first re- performed by American rockabilly singer Johnny Burnett, whose version peaked at number eight on the US Billboard Hot 100 in December 1960, and number three in the UK in 1961. Now, the original 1960 version of Year 16 by Johnny Burnett is featured prominently on the 1973 motion picture soundtrack of the film American Graffiti. Good movie. It is. I haven't seen it in years, though. It's, it's worth a rewatch, if I remember correctly. In January 1974, the song taken from the album Ringo hit number one. The latter performance reunited Ringo Starr with his former Beatles bandmate Paul McCartney. McCartney is credited on the liner notes of the album Ringo as having played the solo on a kazoo. But reviewer Michael Verdi has quoted the song's producer, Richard Perry, as revealing it wasn't actually a kazoo. In fact, the solo on You're Sixteen, which sounds like a kazoo or something, was Paul singing very spontaneously as we played the track back. So he's singing the solo on that. So in 1978, Video of Star's Version features Carrie Fisher as Star's love interest, though at the time Carrie Fisher was 22 years old. In 2017, the song was connected to the Roy Moore controversy when Breitbart editor Joel Pollack during an interview on CNN said, You know, in 1973, Ringo Starr hit number one on the Billboard charts with the song You're 16, You're Beautiful and You're Mine. Pollock said, Star was 30-something at the time, singing about a 16-year-old. You want to take away Ringo Starr's achievement? So let's listen to You're 16.
1: You come on like a
0: This remake of a 70s pop song fit Ringo's voice and the style of music he was doing at the time. I liked how he kept it the same, and he changed it all at the same time. Not a huge fan of what Ringo did after the Beatles broke up, which is probably why I picked a cover song. I just, I couldn't really find something. We did the one song, Photograph, a while back, Mm -hmm. which is a really, actually a really good Ringo song. Okay. But I didn't want to redo it, like, six weeks later. Right. So, I, I went with Year 16, which is a cover song but as far as i am concerned there's not a whole lot to choose from
1: okay so i have to say if this song were sung by ringo when he was with the beatles it would have been kind of cute now that he's an adult it just sounds icky kind of creepy like to catch a predator icky
0: <laughs> well you know that's that that's that whole Breitbart thing too right. you know
1: you know the swing song is actually kind of catchy and fun and my notes even say but wait a second is that a fucking kazoo because that's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. The song is okay. I just can't can't get past the words. I really can't. I like my However, song better. However,
0: go watch the video. Okay. You won't get over Carrie Fisher at twenty two either.
1: Yeah, but that she's like half our age right now, so we still feel kind of creepy. At well, least yeah, over, I suppose <laughs> if you look at it that way. I mean, although I mean, at least she's over eighteen, so yeah. she's not sixteen. Correct.
0: <laughs> correct. So all right. So what did you pick for your Ringo song?
1: For my Ringo song, I picked "It Don't Come Easy." Um, the song is a non-album single released in 1971 and was Ringo's first release after the breakup of the Beatles. He and former bandmate George Harrison worked on it, Harrison producing it and getting composing credits for the song. Fellow Brit rocker Pete Ham and Tom Evans of Badfinger sang It Don't Come Easy, You Know It Don't Come Easy as the intro, as they were label mates on Apple Records. The song is transparent on its meaning. Whatever you want, you just have to work for it and it don't come easy. Pretty simple and easy, pretty pretty easy straight up to go. Yeah. I have to say that I didn't know this was a Ringo song until I started looking. I just knew I liked the song, and I still do. The guy's got a good voice. He put out decent music. I didn't know them all well to say that he's underrated, but he has talent. I would agree he has talent, absolutely. So, But I wouldn't say he's underrated. No, I think he's rated right about where he belongs. So, I mean, if we're talking like an A to D scale, I'd say he's a solid B. Maybe yeah,
0: he's, like a, a, he's a, a B minus,
1: C plus. So okay. we'll, t- we'll take a listen to it and then we'll get Beetleman involved. The you can even
0: play them easy. So it don't come easy. No oh shit, everybody knows that. Now I've heard this song before.
1: <laughs> he put out a sequel to the song saying fucking
0: duh. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the song. As I said, not a huge, you know, Ringo fan to begin with. So Richard Starkey was called Ringo Starr because he wore a lot of rings. I know it sounds silly, but that was truly the reason. Ringo also took the job with the Beatles after Pete Best was fired. Ringo didn't think the group would last all that long and figured that he'd take what money he could and open a woman's hair salon. That was his plan. They were going to He was going to ride the Beatles to the end. And then open a chain of ladies' hair salons across Britain. And I've seen... I've, I've watched the interview where he says that, and I'm just like, my job... Well, you know, at the time, obviously, he didn't know what the Beatles were going to become.
1: Well, yeah. But to see that in retrospect, you're just like... Well, knowing what you know now. Right. You know, I mean, it, back then, obviously, they could have been another flash in the pan. You never knew that the, the British invasion would, like, take over the world. Right. You That's know? true, but it's just like... It's
0: like, that, that, that was his whole goal. He's like, I can make enough money to open at least one hair salon.
1: You know what? Hey, he had a backup plan, which it's. I wish more people did.
0: True. And actually, you know, Ringo wasn't new to the music business. He had been with other bands prior to being with the Beatles. In fact, they snagged him from, oh, now I'm not going to remember the name of it, but uh, Jerry Jerry something in the Pacemakers. That's the band he was part of.
1: I Like, it's not Jerry Lee, but I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah,
0: so... That band, actually, during the British Invasion, did very well on their own, too. So he was going to be part of the British Invasion one way or the other. It just was It was going to happen. He got lucky by switching gigs.
1: And going to the more popular.
0: Well, but they weren't at the time. Jerry and the
1: Pacemakers at the time were the band. At the time. But right. if you go right now, if I pick any asshole on the street oh, yeah, and absolutely. say, name me a Gary and the Pacemakers song, they're going to probably stop and scratch their head. Name me a Beatles song. Not even a half a second later, they're going to name something. Or six. Exactly.
0: No, I... Honestly, if you put me on the spot right now, I couldn't give you a Jerry and the Pacemaker song.
1: I'd be looking it up going, I know the name, but I don't know what they sing.
0: Exactly. So, I mean, Ringo, like like you said, he's rated right about where he belongs, right in that solid B- minus area. He's got talent, especially as a drummer. I think he's an amazing drummer. Vocally, th- he's okay.
1: I think he's a, he's a good drummer. He's a good drummer, he's a good songwriter, but that's, I mean, if he wrote songs for other artists, it'd be pretty good. And maybe he does, but, I mean, when you look at the Beatles area... They you, didn't need anybody to write their songs. No, but
0: Ringo did write a few songs throughout the, the, the career. And, and George. Yep, George. George got one per album. And Ringo got one when they read a song and they went, yeah, we'll do that.
1: It was like a token, like, we're going to make you, it's like, okay, George, just settle down, we'll put you in but, there. Most of
0: Yellow Submarine was Ringo work, but Octopus's Garden has got to be my favorite Ringo Beatles song. Okay. So, and he not only wrote that, he sang that too. So, you know, it's just one of those weird coincidences. But anyway, that's, yeah, that's all I got. Are you going to pick next or what are we going to do? Yeah, I'll
1: pick next. Okay, what are we going to do? We're going to go do George. George, okay. All right, so my George Harrison song is Got My Mind Set On You. Uh, The song was originally written by Rudy Clark and recorded by James Ray as I've Got My Mind Set On You in 1962. Harrison changed the title just a little bit and recorded it for his 1987 album Cloud Nine, where it became one of his biggest hits, being the last number one by Harrison before passing um, as well as any ex-Beatle as of 2018. This was also the number one single in the U.S. the week before the Beatles were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That so I did not know. Making Harrison one of just a few inductees to have an active single on the U.S. charts at the time that they were inducted. Kinda
0: That's neat. cool, yeah.
1: The song makes me think back of the days of MTV when they put out two videos for the song. They have the one video where he's sitting in his study playing music and all of a sudden all of the taxidermied stuff comes to life.
0: Starts singing and shit's flying everywhere. Yep, like yeah,
1: like a, a deer head, a statue, and a squirrel come to life and bop along with him. And the other one was at an amusement park where a guy is trying to win a girl a toy ballerina from the claw machine. I have never seen that one. I've seen them both, and they're both on YouTube.
0: I'll have to look. Because even the one on YouTube, when I was doing the song, I watched the one in the study.
1: Mm -hmm. Because I think that's the more common one that came out. Now, it's going to take money, a whole lot of spending money is damn sure true if you're playing the claw machine. True. (laughs) Just saying. Now, despite the simplicity and uh, repetitiousness, if that is even a word, it is now. um, You said it, didn't you? I can say a lot of words that aren't like... Technically well, just words.
0: because, you know, that that guy that does the dictionary doesn't agree with you, fuck him.
1: There you go. All right. Just because the the lyrics go on and on about the same shit over and over, how about that? I enjoy the song, and of course, we can't talk about it with a, without giving a shout-out to the parody. The song is just six words long. Um, Which
0: isn't too far off for that song, honestly. No,
1: it's not. And here's another stupid piece of trivia that I found is that during Season 7 of the TV show Degrassi, The Next Generation... They use was that
0: that, that that shit bomb that the Canadian uh, thing? The Canadian thing that uh, Kevin Smith
1: and, and Jay did. It could very well be. Oh, God. Now, they use song titles for episodes, kind of like that 70s did and other shows have done also. Right. And episode 15 was named Got My Mind Set on You. Episode 16 was Sweet Child of Mine. Okay. I had to throw that one in for you. Oh, thanks. So. I enjoy the song. It's it's a really simple, simple song, but it's enjoyable because you don't even have to think. So put your brain on hold and listen to this clip.
0: It's a fun pop song. Oh, a great song and even better video. He had a kind of moved on from the religious style music and and just hit it with a good old pop song. You know, it's a story of a man who has his mindset on a girl and he needs to do all this other stuff in order to get her. You know, like the whole lot of spending money and he's got patience and time and all this other stuff that he needs to take care of. Now, I really enjoy the video. I hear him moving around, paper flying and all this while he sits in a leather high back chair. He also does a backflip in the musical interlude. I did not know that George Harrison could do a backflip.
1: That's not a stunt double. That is not a stunt double. Really? I think you're bullshitting.
0: No, as far as I understand, that is not a stunt double.
1: Wow. And he was old when that happened?
0: Uh, He would have been... What year was it? What year did the song come out? Did you say that? Oh,
1: shit. Yeah, um, let's see. 87 albums, so... 87. He was probably 40. About our age yeah. I mean I'm sure if, if they, we were
0: in shape we might be able to do a backflip
1: uh, i depending on if there's a springboard and if there's something soft to land on when I don't and and end up scorpioning myself
0: <laughs> <laughs> but anyway what's not to like about this song I mean it's just
1: it's catchy it's fun it's easy to follow and you can memorize those words easily enough
0: yeah the third time you heard that song on the radio you Memorized. knew all the words yep you might get them in the wrong order but you knew them So you know great song good pick. All right, so what do you got for George? So for George...
1: Which way did he go, George? Which which way way did he he go? go?
0: So the George Harrison song I have is called My Sweet Lord. It was released in November 1970 on his triple album, All Things Must Pass. Also issued as a single, Harrison's first as a solo artist, My Sweet Lord, topped charts worldwide and was the biggest selling single of 1971 in the UK. In America and Britain, the song was the first number one single by an ex beatle Harrison originally gave the song to his fellow Apple Records artist Billy Preston to record. This version, which Harrison co-produced, appeared on Preston's Encouraging Words album in September 1970. Harrison wrote My Sweet Lord in praise of the Hindu god Krishna, while at the same time intending the lyrics to serve as a call to abandon religious sectarianism through his deliberate blending of the Hebrew word Hallelujah with chants of Hare Krishna and Vedic prayer. Many artists have covered the song, including Andy Williams, Peggy Lee, Edwin Starr, Johnny Mathis, Nina Simone, Julio Iglesias, Richie Havens, Megadeth, Boy George, Elton John... Oh,
1: pause, pause. Megadeth? Megadeth. I kind of want to hear that.
0: Uh, Where was I? Elton John, Jim James, Bonnie Bartlett, and Elliot Smith. My Sweet Lord is ranked number 460 on the Rolling Stone magazine's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. The song reached number 1 in Britain for a second time when re-released in January 2002, 2 months after Harrison's death. Well, let's go ahead and listen to My Sweet Lord. Sweet Lord
1: It's kind of crazy how that works when somebody kicks it, how their stuff just goes through the fucking roof.
0: Well, Michael Jackson had, like, the top three spots for a month after. Well,
1: and who just, who recently just, um, um, Aretha. Yeah. Her catalog went crazy, crazy yep. just because she passed away recently. So, George, the quiet beetle.
0: The always...
1: The droopy beetle.
0: Yeah, he was always my favorite of the boys, though, because he actually seemed to believe in all the mysticism and the gurus and all that. Uh, many contemporaries, including the boys, would go would also go to India, but when they were there, because they found it a respite from the real world. Good word. The acoustic guitar and George's vocals are very much something I enjoy. He was part of the traveling Wilburys. I always forget him and Jeff Lane or Jeff Lynn as part of the band. George because he was so quiet and, and unassuming, you know, and Jeff because I don't care.
1: Because if think about it, though, for the traveling Wilburys, there's there's Tom Top Petty, Eddie, Roy Orbison, R- uh, George, George, and Jeff. Jeff. Wasn't there a fifth? Ah, uh, shit. Um, maybe. But who are the ones that you almost always hear? You always hear Tom. Tom. I mean, he's kind of the basic frontman guy out of it. So, I mean, right. Jeff, you hear a bit, but I mean, I can understand why. you... And Roy. I mean, and when, when, Roy.
0: during the first part of the wilberries anyway.
1: Yeah. Oh God, Roy had such a good damn voice.
0: Yeah. This song is just beautiful, and I know it was spiritual to him, and that makes it even more powerful to me. So, what are your thoughts on this?
1: You know, I didn't know this song by the title, but then when it started up with that high, almost ukulele-style sound, I recognized it. It's a decent song that I didn't know was George Harrison. It's a a good on you for a good choice. I really don't have a whole lot to say about it. All right, so... Wrap us up with uh, Paul. We're going to finish up with Paul, and my Paul choice is actually when he was with his, I guess could you call it a side band, his side gig? No, it was his band at the time. Okay, Uh, his side piece, Wings. Well, his (sighs) wife was part of Wings, so I guess side piece no the side piece doesn't work because he was married yeah that would i'm sure she'd be a little pissed to hear about that (laughs) but But, um well she would have been back in the day yeah she's kind of dead now she would you know take her leg off and smack him with it or something
0: oh that no this was linda this was linda um, oh that's right uh linda i forget what her name was but she was she was heiress to the kodak film industry yep and as it would have been eastman eastman thank you linda eastman they were married for you know from the time they got married until she died Paul was like, he was the, you know, the perfect husband. He was the perfect provider and everything. And since then, he's had like three or four wives and every one of those have ended in a divorce. That's why he keeps selling the music of the Beatles. Because he's got to pay for it. He's got, he's got five divorces to pay for or whatever it is. Three divorces to pay for. But anyway, go on. Dylan. That's who we forgot. Bob Dylan. I don't <laughs> know how Because I they never all...
1: picture him as part of the Wilburys. No, because he's the only Wilbur who can't sing. Good point. But anyways, so I chose Band on the Run. Now, this song is the title track to McCartney and Wings' 73, 1973 album of the same name, where it released as a single a year later.
0: So the name of the album is Band on the Run? Yeah. Okay. I'm just being a dick.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> I should be used to it by now. So the song is one of Paul's longest singles, being just over five minutes. The song is autobiographical in that it went over the band's drug busts that were big in the 60s and 70s. The bands were being criminalized for weed and wings, wings, along with the birds and the eagles. Do you remember
0: the Saturday Night skit with uh, Chris Farley and Paul McCartney?
1: Oh, uh, do, do, you, do you remember that? That was awesome.
0: Yeah. Um, do you remember that time in Japan when you got busted for weed?
1: That was awesome! <laughs> so there were fellow outlaw bands on the run and escaping, per se. The band's name, Wings, was even a little bit of a jab at Paul escaping from the shadow of the Beatles. Band on the Run starts off kind of folksy and slow, feeling almost dreamy. Cartney's signature voice keeps the listener comfortable, and then we get to about maybe a minute and 20 into it, and the guitar work kicks in, makes you wonder where it's really going to go, and then about 2.19, about 2.20 or so, is when the song really kicks in, shows up to where everyone would recognize it. Don't care about the message. Don't care if they were a finger-quote outlaw band because I really don't think of them as being an outlaw. I don't
0: band. think of Light Wings that way, but okay.
1: I think the Eagles maybe a little bit just because of who's in it. Like Joe Walsh, maybe. Yeah. Um, Don Henley, maybe, you know, but not the Beatles or the Birds. Right. I appreciate the song for the musical talent. Bottom line. So let's go ahead and take a listen to this band on the run, and then Beatleman gets to finish it. For the record, I'm not going to stop calling you that for this episode.
0: I, I get that, but here's the thing. is We're going to go do a live broadcast somewhere, and people are going to start calling me the Beatles man. And I'm going to have to kick you right in the dingy ding. <laughs> so, band on the run.
1: I'll be rolling on the ground in pain, but still somehow laughing.
0: Who doesn't know this song? It's a great wing song. The nice thing is that Paul McCartney has a great voice. I like the song in small doses. I'm, honestly, I, I have a few... Paul McCartney songs that I really like. Mostly, his stuff after the Beatles, to me, tends to be a little on the boring side.
1: It's a bit whiny. Yeah. But, I mean, I think when it kicks, it's if you go just by the beginning part of the song, you might turn it off. But when it actually starts to kick in and it gets fun, mm-hmm. that's when it becomes a good song.
0: And he's got some really good stuff out there. In fact, Paul McCartney just, two days ago from recording... Dropped a new album, something about something with Egypt. So it's it's
1: a he's got a new style. So I'm gonna go check it out. Something about something with Egypt. If that's the title, <laughs> no, I that's would, not the I title. I would off my ass. I off can't it.
0: remember what the title is. Can, but. can you
1: imagine going like like um oh I don't know like Walmart or Target? Can I get something about something with Egypt? You know,
0: if they got a good person in the music department, they'll know what I'm talking about.
1: I because I bet I you,
0: get I that. bet you, I could walk into Inner Sleeve and and say to that hippie behind the counter. Say, hey, man, I want the new Paul McCartney, the something-something about Egypt. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, right that over here. That son of a
1: bitch knows everything, though. Man. I know. I mean, he... I mean, he knows if, every CD in his place. He could probably tell you what track stuff is on. Like, yeah, that was on... I mean, he's he's a burnout. He absolutely is, but he's a great guy.
0: He's a nice guy. I, um, I, I go in there and buy stuff from him. Not
1: often, often, but... If you can't find it anywhere else, that's a great place to look. Right. Because he'll stock stuff. That's actually where I bought my first cassette tape. That was actual rock and roll music because I bought soundtracks and shit or Weird right. Al and that I don't count, but like my actual first Rocks tape, which let's see if you remember what it was. I know I told you this.
0: Oh, you did. It was, was Van Halen?
1: Appetite. Oh. Appetite was the very first cassette tape that I bought that wasn't Soundtrack or Weird Al and I wore it out <laughs> from Paradise City. I can believe that. Now, my first album I bought, because
0: I never bought a tape. I had some tapes, but I never bought them. They were gifts or whatever. Mm, sure. Was when CDs came out. And I went out and it was... With it those was, big cardboard fucking things? Yes. It was 91. Okay. Because I remember, because I the first two albums I bought at the same time were Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusions 1 and 2 okay yeah and i bought a walkman
1: a discman or a, or a water... disc i'm sorry a discman that if you tap it like you fart at it the oh wrong god way, it, it was skips.
0: horrible <laughs> but it was like i bought those three things and it was like a hundred dollars oh my god yeah
1: i still have my discman <laughs> do you and it works it still skip <laughs> it does sometimes what's funny is they sold those car kits that you would put in the tape deck
0: yeah but
1: what if unless... you get a bump but unless you have the best shocks in your car ever that's why they made sport ones um, but actually I bought my first CD from, from Inner Sleeve as well. I bought it from Camelot Music. I remember Camelot. I actually bought more video games from Camelot. Did you? I did music. Yep. Camelot and Tape World. So anyway,
0: we're, we're getting off, off track A little bit, here, yeah. Anyway, I, I really like the song Band on the Run. And probably because it sounds a lot like what I would call a Beatles transition song. Like I could still hear the work of the Beatles in this or or the the styling of the Beatles in this, mm-hmm. but it was definitely not the Beatles. Okay. So, just my two cents. All right, and why don't you go ahead and finish out our Paul part. All right, so my Paul song is Maybe I'm Amazed. And now this was first released on his 1970 album, McCartney. McCartney's dedicated the song to his wife, Linda, who had helped him get through the breakup of the Beatles. Although the original recording has never been released as a single, a live performance by McCartney's later band, Wings from the live, uh, live album Wings Over America, was. This version became a top 10 hit in the United States and reached number 28 in the United Kingdom. In 2011, Rolling Stone Magazine ranked Maybe MMA's number 347 on its 500 Greatest Songs of All Time list. McCartney wrote the song in 1969, just before the Beatles' breakup. He credited his wife Linda with helping him get through the difficult time. Although most of his debut solo album was recorded at his home in London, McCartney recorded "Maybe I'm Amazed" entirely in EMI's Number Two Studio in Abbey Road. Or at Abbey Road, he played all the instruments: guitars, or, yeah, guitars, bass, piano, organ, and drums. Although McCartney declined to re- release the song as a single in 1970, it nonetheless received a great deal of radio airplay worldwide. In a review for the McCartney album on release, Langdon Winner. Of Rolling Stone described Maybe I'm Amazed as a very powerful song that states one of the main sub themes of the record that the terrible burden of loneliness can be dispelled by love. Winter continued to describe the track as the only song on the album that even comes close to McCartney's best efforts of the past. It succeeds marvelously. So let's listen and see if you're amazed. So it's just a wonderful love song from Paul to his wife, Linda. Though none of the boys ever really said much about the breakup other than times change and they change too. Very British of them not to make a scene and move on. The song was Paul's way to work through the ending of something that
1: huge. I think it's brilliant. Lou? So, alright, this is an incredible love song written and sung by Paul McCartney for his wife, Linda. Uh, on, again, too, I don't have a whole lot on this one. It's an incredible song. The only thing that kind of jumps out at me here is I'm not sure if you should really try to be doing those high notes as it sounds a little screechy on it. But other than that, I mean, this is a great song. There's there's nothing in my mind that's it's just amazing.
0: And with that, we're going to wrap up with um, our uh, good old uh, trivia question here. Before we do so, are you going to change your... I am not. I am still enjoying
1: this. I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna not actually downgrade. I'm gonna keep it as a solid bar. It actually hasn't built as much as I expected. The bitter it to, did not build at all, which is good because if it had, yeah, we would have both downgraded. I mean, I still would have probably finished it because you don't leave a dead soldier. That's right. Or a wounded soldier out.
0: We we all our men get home. <laughs> exactly. Which is the toilet about three hours from now. There you go. So all right, let's get into. Uh, let's just ignore I said that and let's just move on to the trivia.
1: Uh, and let me, if I remember the correctly, it was, like, what were the Beatles known by before they were the Beatles? Yes. For some reason, Youngbloods is coming to mind, but I don't think that's right. Is that your answer? Yeah. No, it's not. Okay. They were the Quarrymen. Okay. And then they became the Silver Beetles,
0: and then, to my knowledge, the Beatles. Okay. So when they were doing Hamburg, Germany, they were actually known as the Silver Beetles, and that's when they picked up Brian Epstein, and he said, guys, just just the Beatles, just Be the Beatles. And they're like, we'll try it, Brian. And we all know what happened after that.
1: It kind of sounds like our gaming group. We get a lot of those. We'll try it, Brian. (laughs) Yeah, team in if you're listening. We'll try it. All
0: right. So that makes you three and four. Right. All right. And...
1: Bloody well right. (laughs) The shitty Beatles.
0: Sorry about going so long, guys. I know we had kind of tracked ourselves down to that 45-minute episode or whatever, but this one went a little long. If anybody's surprised, raise your hand. Okay, nobody raise their hands.
1: Bueller. 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 Bueller.
0: With that, thank you guys for listening, and let us know if you like this episode or any of our other episodes. There's a couple different ways you can do that. You can send us an email at eclecticmediaproject at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook at Musically Podcast. Or if you want to uh, look at the uh, the place where we put all our podcasts for right now, you can do at POI Network. Either way, drop us a line, let us know what you guys think, and we'll get back to you. And there's one final
1: way. And that is the Twitter. And, you know, it's not just for presidents. It's for everybody. And if you have anything to say, plus or minus, if you want to give us a playlist, if you want to say, hey, we love you, hey, we hate you, um, whatever you want to do, we are at MC Podcast 17 hit us up, you know, if you want to send us 10 songs, 10 artists, theme or not that's cool, we might do some polls if we get enough people following and with
0: that, thank you guys for listening
1: and we'll talk to you next week you have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studios.